From CNA Medical Allies, this is Medical Cost Boss, where we share how to take charge of medical costs like a boss. I'm your host, Gabe Capone. Today's episode, The Evolution of Case Management. I spoke with nurse case manager Lisa Smrek back in January 2022. One of the topics that we discussed is how case management has evolved over the years. It's changed, grown, and progressed. You can hear more about it in today's episode. I'll give you a little background of where how case management evolved and the different kinds there are. What they started to do was to do utilization review, and that meant that there would be a pre-cert so a patient would have to pre-certify their admission, like the doctor's office would call in to the insurance company and say, oh, I have Mrs. Jones that's going to need an appendectomy done. And and, the, and then the insurance company would say, here's two days. This way they couldn't bill the 30 days because they don't need to be there 30 days, you know. So it all evolved from that part of utilization review, case management evolved because then it became as patients were in the hospital and they were there longer. The goal was to get them home because that's really where you recover. There's a lot of studies done out there. You recover better in the home or going to a rehab, less chance of infection than there would be in a hospital. Some cases where someone gets uh, released from the hospital, discharged from the hospital, and you know the hospital's done a good job of taking care of them, and, and you've helped facilitate the proper care. And maybe there's patients that just aren't you know being compliant or adherent and following the rules that, or things that they have to do or following the guidelines they have to do. And what that generally starts with is, like I said, when you have a discharge, you've got to have a, a stable discharge, a safe discharge with a good plan. It has to start on day one of admission to the hospital. What are you going to do? Are you going to go to rehab? When you go home from rehab, where are you going to go? Do you live alone? Do you have a lot of stairs? How do you get your food? How do you get your medicine? How often do you follow up with the family doctor? You know, there's so many questions and that's where case management evolved is in that you would go to the next level of care beyond the hospital and do better. That's kind of how, I don't know if I went off on a tangent. No, it's really, but, um, <laughs> that's great. No, that's but, great. Uh, that's a very good point. There's a couple of things there that you said that are really interesting to me. One is like the, the last thing is really just to be attentive to your own health. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be as very attentive and diligent about your health, no matter what state it is that you're in tremendously healthy, or if you have a a chronic disease or whatever it might be, you have to be attentive to what your needs are as a person, as an individual and for your own health. So that's, that's really interesting. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think there, I think that's, you know, that's great sage wisdom (laughs) that, you know, and we, and there's so much talk about health and wellness and care and self-care now more than ever. So much of that though, is also on us as individuals. You can tell people to or blue in the face to take care of themselves and do these things. Don't eat exactly. Ready and then someone goes to a steakhouse, right? So we yeah, have, exactly. like, and, yeah. and so, you know, there's just, obviously there's going to be slips and things like that. Well, but, sure. Mm-hmm. You know, attentiveness is really important. Like everything in moderation, I had someone telling me that was a type one diabetic the other day, you know, that her sugar is not the same as someone else's blood sugar. So she's had diabetes for, I think she told me like 40 years. Type one is the type you get, you know, usually when you're younger and it's 
uh, like an autoimmune reaction thing. Sure. You know, she was saying like she's feeling better when her sugars are in the hundreds or a little higher in the higher hundreds or something she was saying. And I was like, really? And she said, yes, you know, well, I'm not the same as like a five-year-old new type two diabetic, whereas that might be too high for them. But for me, meaning herself, she felt better when her sugar was higher per se. Now, I don't know if that's, you know, huh. appropriate. I'm not a endocrinologist by any right. means, <laughs> but, you know, I just found it interesting to think like, wow, she feels healthier and her sugar's higher, but yet we're trying to keep other people with their sugar lower. It's just like, uh, it's getting it the right way. Like diabetic can be a very healthy person as long as they're being managed correctly and trying to do what they're supposed to as recommended. And if not finding the right balance, their eating and their insulin or their pills or whatever they're doing to have a good quality of life. Yeah, that balance is really just fundamentally important as well. Like you mentioned, I think, and everybody's different. Obviously, there's like for A1C, like you spoke about, there's a range, right? But they want to stay within there and stay balanced at this certain level. But every patient is a little bit different. And there's type one and type two, and there, you know, there's different effects and different reasons. So it's really interesting there too. I think the other the other point that you made earlier that I think is really important to get across is adherence. So there's this attentiveness that we have to do, that we have to take care of ourselves and and take care of our health, no matter what state we're in. And then there's the adherence to whatever it is that we need to do, especially if we are receiving medical care. Exactly. Is is an age old problem in healthcare. Uh, There's so Mm -hmm. many, right? We see it right. (laughs) Like it's how many times you hear talk about, I'm sure it's like, you know, telling people that they need to be compliant or adherent, whatever it might be in in relation to sort of increasing their health, because some people, you know, need to be very strict and it's hard for them to do that and pay attention in those ways. So adherence was uh, across the board, hundred percent for everyone. There would be a lot less causes of these long-term chronic diseases because people could possibly minimize or at least mitigate some of the effects that are happening just by being here to their medication or paying attention to that. Right. Definitely. And their mental health too, you know, more focus is definitely going on to mental health, which is wonderful because it's probably been most one of the areas that hasn't gotten as much attention as it should. And, you know, that can throw off the whole continuum if someone isn't having their mental health addressed along with their physical addressed. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They sort of go hand in hand. Yes, in they do. Ways. I think if, if you're mentally not feeling healthy or feeling great, uh, I think that affects you physically and vice mm-hmm. versa. Yes. Uh, kind of is a two-way street. And, uh, but I, I'm so glad that there's so much more attention being paid to mental health. We, you know, yes. see, it, see it everywhere, which, which I think is wonderful because it's important. You know, it's, how we think exactly. <laughs> what's going on in our heads and our minds and our, and that affects our bodies. I think one of the other things too, I wanted to just bring up to you, it may be, if, um, this is sort of putting you on the spot a little bit, but is there a particularly like rewarding experience that you've had with a patient where you were really able to secure that appropriate care while also helping sort of contain that cost? And I know you do this every day and it's a, it's a regular thing for you, but is there a particular story that stands out to you? It seems like there's, there's always a problem when someone, you know, they want to be in their home to die. Okay. I, I don't mean to be morbid and talk sure. about 
death as much, but <laughs> we're talking about health. But that's a but part I, of life. I, it's a part of life, you know. <laughs> and we didn't really touch on that too much yet. Yeah. So I think it's a good idea to do that too. But so a lot of times when patients are home with hospice. Uh, they have hospice services that come in, but those services are only there for, uh, you know, a few hours a day, if if that, okay, and it might not be every day. So I have had several situations where patients have gone home and they have family members, say there's like a daughter and a son, we'll say, and they're trying to maintain the family member at home on hospice. And and generally, the patient's dying, and they're getting worse and worse, and the family just cannot handle it at home, and they want to have private duty. Well, private duty could cost like, you know, there's lots of different prices out there, but I'll give you a, an average maybe of like $25 an hour. So I had a situation where the $25 an hour needed to be for 10 hours a day. Well, you, you know, you do the math, that's pretty expensive. So if you're talking $250 a day and the person was needing it five days of the week, that's pretty costly. Yeah, that's pretty quick. Yeah. So what I have found was, and this has seemed to me to be like a little secret almost. (laughs) If you go into. (laughs) Oh, I love secrets. Time to dance. <laughs> so if you go into um and it, we haven't really talked about assisted livings there's assisted livings and personal care units out there and they're all usually you know private pay okay so if you're able to get into this assisted living and have hospice it can really be a cost savings because if you're on hospice already a lot of times the wave the uh, like three or four thousand dollar entrance fee for the month or for to just get into their facility, right? But if you're already on hospice, they might waive that. So you're talking about maybe four thousand dollars on top of that three or four thousand that you'd have to pay to get in the to be there for like a month. Well, if I was home and my family member was home and I'm taking care of them and I have private duty for, you know, $250 a day, there's 30 days in a month, you do the math, right? right. And I meant to figure that out before I got on the phone, because I'm not very good at math. <laughs> but um, so, but 250 a day times 30 days is a lot of money. <laughs> so yeah. if you're going into, it could be like over, I think it's like nine, $10,000. But if you go into an assisted living, it's only say $4,000 for the month. So that's a huge savings. And not to mention it's a huge burden lifted from the family. But I didn't know that you could really do that till I, like I said, had personal experience with it. You know, you're really putting out a lot of money because sometimes you need more and more hours at home. So say you're needing 20 hours a day for your family member and $25 an hour. So you're really saving money by having them go into a facility. Now, not everyone wants to do that. But unfortunately, sometimes you don't have a choice. Say you're taking care of your loved one at home and you hurt your back, and then you don't have anyone else, and you can't afford this money to pay for this daily private duty, then you have to look at, unfortunately, going into a facility. But that's just one example of how I hmm. try to help people with you know, their cost savings and, and doing what's not necessarily always what they want, but what's best or what's you know, cost efficient at the time. 
Yeah, that is that is incredible to me that you're paying for a private duty, and then also on top of that, you would be paying the entry to a facility. Is that well? Yes. Yeah, so if you're getting the private duty at home, you're yeah. paying twenty five dollars an hour, right. At least, okay. But um, if you go into like an assisted living facility, it's like four thousand for the month. We'll say for average. There's some that are more, some are less. It's okay. usually around that. Okay. So you do sometimes have to pay that entrance fee of like another $4,000 on top of that. But if you're on hospice, which is the situation I was talking about, Mm -hmm. a lot of times they'll waive that because the person is not going to be there past a month because they're, they're in the dying stages, depending on where they are. So, so they're waiving that $4,000. So you might only have to pay the the, the 4,000 for the month. And then you wouldn't have the private duty costs because you're not the family member or whatever is not going to be home anymore. So you're going to have them. They're getting 24-hour care and that assisted living. Yes. That is and a very ho- hard conversation to have, I'm sure. It is. It and, is. I've and, had and, them. And, yeah. and it's, you know, it's one where you have to, you know, obviously it's a delicate and sensitive one conversation, but also one that the cost of, of being sick is expensive. Um, it is. Yes, it is. The fact that, you know, you're able to sort of have these kind of conversations and and help those people, you know, fully realize and understand that this is what's best, not only for the, for the individual who's sick, but, you know, also for them financially. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an unfortunate conversation that to have. But it's, it is. It really one. is. <laughs> but it's real. And, and for me, like that kind of thing is not not as difficult as it is for some people. Like I'm, that's one of my strengths, you know, um, like don't ask me to do math for you on a roll, you know, <laughs> but I can help you set up a great hospice and a great uh, arrangement for you at home. <laughs> great. That's good. All right. So no math for you. So 250 times 30 is what we're saying. That's 7,500 just so you know. <laughs> okay. There we go. <laughs> I, uh, but I, 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 I didn't do it in my head. I brought, I busted out a calculator. <laughs> so that's good. That's not my strong suit either. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, I guess before we sign off, is there, is there any other final thoughts that you wanted to share? All kinds of healthcare providers out there I've worked with, and he that we've evolved into case management. A lot of times it was being done by social workers in the past, and it's still being done by a lot. But with having a nurse in there, it really does help with a lot of the medical piece and knowing a lot of what the results are for that patient and what that medical indication or what the the end result is watching people on the continuum as a nurse versus a social worker. There's always something to be said about that. That's just one thing I wanted to say. Thank you to my guest, Lisa Smrek. If you want to hear her opinion on why prevention is the best care, listen to episode two of this podcast. If you'd like to hear more episodes of Medical Cost Boss, please visit medicalcostboss.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, remember, you too can take charge of your medical costs like a boss.